Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Riding the Storm Out. We have had our prayers answered. My good buddy and co-pastor, Dan Fisher, has laryngitis, yes. so he can't talk. It's an early Christmas gift. It's an early Christmas present yeah. to Pam Fisher and to all of us. To everybody in so, my circle. Well, considering you can't talk, <laughs> we've got a very special broadcast today and actually for the next couple of episodes. Of course, everyone is well aware of all that's going on with the COVID pandemic, but how much of it is legit? How much of it is hype as we're seeing with this new variant that is mostly <laughs> hype uh, trying to panic uh, the American yeah. public into yeah. a response of fear and cowering once again. Well, we had the privilege of meeting a couple of two exceptional research scientists. And over the last two years, they have taken their time yeah. to study all these reports and research mm -hmm. papers from around the world, not just in America, but the Danish studies, the Swedish studies, all of them, to make sure they're getting a legitimate answer. You but, mean they did research? They actually did research, and they actually read the reports, no. not just the summaries. Oh. And they have put together uh, in-depth documented information that we want to present to you. So on this week's episode of Riding the Storm Out, we've got Dr. Amy Serrato and Dr. Eric Snyder to talk about death coding, risk, and fatality. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here tonight, clearly. Uh, Dr. Serrato is a very credentialed individual, but um, hopefully we can share some information with you. Uh, kind of some backdrop, both of us, I guess, by default are from Pennsylvania. Um, so we're the two Pennsylvanians in Oklahoma that met each other through research uh, on these topics and kind of a, a put together um, these groupings to, to give you a presentation tonight that hopefully is pretty encompassing of a lot of data. So um, we have presented this information to some state representatives who I'm very thankful for that we're willing to hear uh, the information. There are people fighting uh, to try to get a different narrative out to the public that's more truthful, I think. Uh, and so as we go through this, uh, we'll put the disclosure up there. Basically, what we would ask is, please check our research. Um, I have no issue with that. I know Dr. Serrato wouldn't, but we're actually here today as independent researchers. We have day jobs and we've, we're putting this together. Uh, we're going to publish the book, as they said. Um, with, through Ignite Liberty and, and have some hard copies available in the future, but we're not medical doctors, we're not virologists, nurses, or primary care physicians, and the reason that matters is um, I want to be very clear that we're thankful for their efforts over the last really two years of what we've been going through because they're also struggling through those times too, um, but it's becoming uh, more pervasive and we're continuing down this path that I think maybe we should shift and turn around. So. We encourage everyone to do your due diligence though, check our research, and we're not perfect. So discussion topics tonight, uh, stratified COVID-19 risk and infection fatality rates. We're gonna look at death coding, polymer chain reaction. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of the PCR test. Masking the science, uh, disastrous public health policies that have come from that. And then therapeutic interventions and censorship that's out there, strength of natural immunity. And finally, the vaccines, it's not last, but you know, last but not least, right? And so all of these topics I think are important and combining them together for a narrative is also important. So looking at them individually is one thing, but when you put them all together, it tells you a different story about maybe the whole process that has been behind this from the get-go. So we'll get started here. Um, tell me again how you're on the side of science. I think memes are very popular these days. So, you know, if you throw those up, at least they'll bring some humor to your life. Uh, we'll start out with world death rates. And so why does this matter? So in looking at 2019 to 2020, which was the first year we were going through this pandemic, 
Uh, the world death percentage rate actually didn't change, so you know, 0.76%. Um, through 2019 into 2020, which was the first full year that we had COVID-19 um, in the public. And that's important to look at as just a data point, not because uh, it's clear to understand that there's many, many variables that go into world death rates, right? That doesn't just include COVID-19, that includes all deaths that are happening worldwide. But when you're in a pandemic, one would assume that that death rate percentage would increase in some capacity at a global scale. And we don't see that. Um, and actually, our current trend right now would be um, decrease again, in, or a, a little bit of a decrease again, but we are entering into cold and flu season, uh, which tend to be more problematic worldwide. And so we'll see what that looks like as we get through January. But this chart here is important. So this is from ourworldindata.org, which is also where we're pulling the other data from. And if you look at the pandemic during the first year, so that would be your gray slides here. This is year one. Uh, you can see that we spiked there in April through May and June. Then we had a nice, wonderful summer, a uh, little bit of a peak there, and then we hit winter. And last winter was when we had a spike again in COVID cases. The red overshadowing is our current year. And it's actually quite interesting because you can see uh, we had a spike and then we dropped again and now we have another spike and we're probably gearing up if you look at the trend analysis to head into our winter months, which is quite common um, in looking at that worldwide. So we're, that was 11.16 where we are, we're just kind of projecting and looking that, at that and saying, okay, um, if we've had a full year of, of vaccinations in the population, and we're now um, actually having more, uh, we're gonna have more cases probably by the end of the year, then it, the question becomes, are the vaccines actually working? Uh, which we will get into a little later, but it's an important data point. One that I like to focus on because I think that was probably the uh, key point for me was when the conversation about five to 11 year olds came to fruition and vaccinating them. And so uh, we dove into the data a little bit there, but our own CDC published uh, basically a planning scenario. So if you look at zero to 17 year old children, uh, 20 out of a million would actually, you know, pass from COVID-19. And that is calculated to a 99.9998 infection survivability rate. Um, the New York Times, which I'm sure many of you read every day, um, their annual death rates among children in the United States, though you could see where they graphed it there. So COVID uh, at 0.2 was lower than the flu, cancer, homicide, vehicular accidents, drowning, et cetera. Uh, interestingly, Physicians with Informed Consent is another organization that looked at our previous pandemic, which was the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, and they compared the infection fatality rate, which the calculation is pretty simple. It's deaths over infection. And what they found was that you had six times greater uh, of a chance to actually pass from COVID or from the Spanish flu than you did of COVID-19 during that time. So if we really tease into the data though, basically from 2020, January 4th of 2020 through October 8th was the most current data. And what you will find is that it's very difficult. Many of these data sets are teased out in, in how their variables switch. So for a few months, it might be zero to 17 year olds, and then all of a sudden it switches for, to zero to 18 year olds. And when you teach quantitative research methods, and Dr. Serrato and I have that competency, you know that it's very hard to tease out that extra you know, year age and then do a comparison because you're comparing apples to oranges is the common conversation. So 
In total, though, there was 587 children that were listed in the database, almost over a two-year period uh, of dying, and terminology is critical, with COVID-19. With COVID-19 does not mean of COVID-19. And so when you look at that database again, um, it, it says basically of those, 95% of them had other comorbidities listed on their death certificates, which would be 557 of those children. Um, and, and to say that COVID-19 actually caused that death is a bit problematic, and we'll talk a little bit why that becomes more complex um, as you start looking at monetary compensation uh, and other variables that come into play. But if we were to take 5% of the 587, you can check my math, I think it's pretty good, um, 29 children would die of COVID-19. And in that population, you have about 73 million children in the United States, to give you some perspective. I want to be clear, that breaks my heart that any child would pass. I, I would not want that for any family. Um, but in everyday life, there are risk factors that we look at and, and we assess as parents or as individuals about what decisions we make. And when you look at some of the other variables, even from the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, they did 2018 data. We had 4,074 children die in car accidents, uh, 3,143 firearm-related and suicides uh, in the United States, 1,853 died of cancer. If you look at neglect and abuse from, um, of children in the United States, our government data, there was 1,840 that died in 2019. And if you actually break that down more in Oklahoma, that would actually equate, uh, in Oklahoma, we had more children die in the state of Oklahoma from abuse and neglect in 2019 than we did of COVID-19 during the entire two years of that pandemic. So that's just giving you a little bit of perspective as you're looking at a risk analysis of everyday life. Now, again, this gets into the children case because I think it's very important that we protect our children. Um, when you start looking, and so you could see this was the most recent data that came out by the CDC, but you have the 0%. Um, 192 children ages 5 to 11 died basically uh, of a COVID-19-related illness is how they categorize that. And if you look over at the other chart, how many cases that we had? We had 2.132 million um, cases of children ages 5 to 11 with covid based off of a more than likely a PCR test, which I will talk all about PCRs. It's a wonderful uh, conversation. But when you think about that, uh, that infection fatality rate for five to 11 year olds is actually um, 0.000090%, which is extremely low. And the question then becomes, um, if that's the percentage, and we know there was 192 of a, a multiple millions of children uh, why then move forward with a mass vaccination campaign that we know can cause adverse effects? And that's a logical question that I think more of us should be asking of many people uh, that are in these fields. So that's uh, kind of the end of the first um, glimpse. I think that's right. You'll comply because you want it to end. Uh, but it never ends because you comply. I think, I think that's part of the message that we're getting to. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Riding the Storm Out. We look forward to being with you next time. And hopefully he'll still have laryngitis because this has been the best episode we've ever had. The best. Until then, God bless you and we'll see you next time. Take care.